2: From MMA Fighting Studios, this is Between the Links. And now, your host,
1: Mike Heck.
3: The iconic voice of Esther Lynn welcomes you to a very exciting edition of Between the Links, and we have ourselves a doozy on the program this week, and the timing couldn't be better because we are coming off an entertaining, memorable... Even in some ways, controversial UFC 284 event. The last piece is mostly due to the main event, the fallout from that fight between Islam Makachev and Alexander Volkanovsky. One that is, at this point, I am just excited to put a bow on today. And we probably have the two best people to help with that. So let's introduce them. Let's not waste any time. First, let us welcome back the exhibition king, Mr. No Grey Area. He's from No Bets Bar, Dan there were good. And surely part of your angry tweets and DMs over the past few days. He is the Woody Page <laughs> of MMAfighting.com, Mr. Jed Mashu. Hey buddy, how's uh how's the week treating you?
4: Dude, it's been so good. Catching a lot of heat. And all I can say is Don't boo me. I'm right. I have been right this whole time. I was right all the time. I'm still right today. And I, like you, am excited to put a bow on this so we can move on to the very exciting. Some people are saying best card of the year, UFC (laughs) Vegas 69.
3: And folks, this is one of those moments where you need to remember the date and the time and everything else involved with this day, because making his return to the MMA Fighting YouTube channel and podcast network is a man who has so many awards these days. He had to build a whole new room for them. He's one of the best in this space with his voice, his breakdowns, his commentary. He is one half of the Morning Combat crew, and he is not far removed from doing something that made me insanely jealous He did a live show in front of a packed house in the UK. Ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together for Mr. Luke Thomas. Luke, thank you for doing this, man. How are you?
5: How are you doing, gentlemen? Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Hey, look at my suntan lotion. Or wait, wait, this way. There it is. I forgot (laughs) to put it away. There's my suntan lotion.
3: Yeah, that's all right. Well, this should be a lot of fun, but let's get into the fight that closed the show and has been talked about pretty much nonstop since Saturday. Islam Makachev versus Alexander Volkanovsky. And this fight was compelling. It was intriguing and selfishly, and I've talked about this a lot heading in and coming out of it. This is exactly the fight that I had hoped we were going to get. There were things I was hoping to see from both fighters and I feel like we saw them. And while the fight was really fascinating, the aftermath of this all has been a whole different thing altogether. So I guess I want to start there. I want to play the one word then show your work game to kick things off because, and to give an example, my word describing the aftermath of this fight is naive because that is exactly what I am in this space. And this fight showed me that more than ever because when the fight was over, I thought maybe, just maybe as a community, We would look at this fight as one where both guys fought their asses off. Both guys dealt with adversity. One man technically won, one man technically lost, but nobody really lost in the grand scheme of things. And we got to see the two best fighters in the whole world do the damn thing for 25 minutes. But instead, it has caused a big divide in the community, whether it's because of the judging or the stupid pound for pound discussion, the what's next for both guys, et cetera. So Jed, let us start with you. If you could describe the fallout of this fight, whether it's a personal thing or something else, what word would you use and why? Lunacy. And honestly, I
4: feel like that's kind of self-explanatory. If you are a rational person who has been engaging with this this week, it has been insane. And I came into that fight more more than probably most people thinking that it would be one-way traffic. Like I stood on my corner and was like, I respect Alexander Volkanovsky. I think he's the best pound-for-pound pound fighter in the world. But when Islam gets going, that is a that is a train downhill. He is not going to be able to stop it. I was dead-ass wrong on that. No questions asked, all the way wrong. Everyone else and myself were wrong that Volkanovski would just run him on the feet. He didn't. He lost the fight on the feet. If that is just a striking match, if we're only counting the striking portions of it, he lost the fight on the feet. It w- the narratives were so flipped, but coming out of that event, no one is really talking about the back half. It is That has happened more as we've gotten a little more space from it. Cooler heads have prevailed a little more where people can and have been giving Islam the recognition he deserves for that. But for much of this post-UFC 284 aftermath, it has been... The narrative of Alexander Volkanovsky, how he exceeded expectations, how he won four rounds, which is freaking insane to argue that, and and the general trend of that, largely I think because one, he overachieved, two, he ended well, and that always tricks people into thinking that the first four rounds don't matter because he won the fifth, and then three, people just really like him, and I've seen a lot of people come out and be like, I love this side of Volk, I love kind of all his, the the antics during the fight and all that, like they really gravitated towards that. And it has been this swirling mass of lunacy that has then created this, we got to run it back immediately. And Islam robbed him and all these sorts of really insane takes for a fight that I felt immediately after rewatching, I still feel Islam won, but the fight was awesome. And it would be okay to just appreciate that was really, really good. It's not the best fight we've ever seen, but the stakes were high, the drama was high, the action was good, and as technical as it gets. One guy won, one guy lost, and we can revisit this in a year when both guys do the necessary things in their own weight classes, and then that can be that can hopefully be even bigger and even better. But the overwhelming sentiment for me coming out of this is that like a large portion of the MMA fan base – has gone insane.
5: <coughs> Luke, what <do> you think? <coughs> sorry, I didn't know when Jed Mashu got so reasonable. When did that? When did that happen? That's new. <coughs> he uh, he makes a lot of sense here.
4: You can see you can see the gray hairs coming. Yeah, it's it's yeah. happening. I'm losing my no, edge.
5: I got a lead on you on the gray, but uh, yeah, welcome to the club. I mean, I would actually agree with a lot of that, and I think lunacy is a pretty good word for it. Now. Uh, I'm a little bit different in the sense that I actually did think it was gonna be very competitive wrestling. I know a lot of folks kind of oversold what happened against Ortega for Volkanovski. In some other cases, Chad Mendez got him down as well. But Volkanovski, between fights makes dramatic improvements. And his team, you know, we should say it out loud. Like those guys out of New Zealand and Australia, Joe Lopez and Eugene Behrman, they might be the best game planners in the sport. Right, so so Volkanovski, this idea that he was not going to be at least reasonably competitive in the wrestling, I didn't buy. But as Jed said, I thought quite correctly on the feet that was revelatory what Islam Makachev turned in. And upon subsequent rewatch, I think a scorecard four one for Islam is a little bit more justifiable than I thought in real time. Still, granting that three two Volkanovski is very much in play and wouldn't have an issue with it. But I mean, I think to get to the point that 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 Jed is. Trying to make here, let's crystallize it around a particular moment that I think has been just to his bar his word, you know, lunacy uh subsequent to the fight. People trying to argue that Volkanovsky won the fourth round. I mean, this is this is this is the 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 apex of desperation, right? I mean, not even Volkanovsky argues he won it. Even he thinks the only scorecard for him is two, three, and five. Uh, which I think is by the way that he's right that those are the defensible rounds for him. And then people just trying to memory hole the first 90 seconds of round four, where once again, we're revisiting this, this sort of uh, information that came out of this result that came out of 284 where Islam clearly outstruck Alexander Volkanovsky on the feet multiple times, demonstrably demonstrably, excuse me, rocking his head back and even getting an acknowledgement from Volkanovsky. In fact, this is something we haven't really talked about if I'm Volkanovsky's coach. And certainly I am not. But if I were, I'd be like, hey, next time we fight this guy, stop acknowledging every time he hits you. It actually is quite memorable in that sense to watch a guy do that. And then when you go, people are like, oh, he didn't do anything from the back. There is a fair argument to be made that eventually that a guy like Makachev with that body triangle without doing a whole lot with it was stalling. But you add in all of the outstriking he did before, then the takedown, which was Beautiful, by the way. And then the back control, even if you wanted to say, well, he shouldn't have had it for that long because he didn't do anything with it, he still had it as a matter of fact. The referee did not separate them. And people are going to, I mean, the ends of the earth to argue this is superior (laughs) to that. You're out of your fucking mind. You're out of your mind. You're out of your mind. You're out of your mind. mind. You simply don't even know what you're looking. This is the only way to get to that is to view... Volkanovsky as a god and you have ultimate fealty to him no matter what it is (laughs) lunacy I'm happy to see the fight again at a later date and I agree with Jed a year from now but people want to deny us Volk versus Yair or even Islam versus who the fuck get please stop stop
4: stop just for the people at home who are probably mad because everything Luke said is right (laughs) these don't count Seriously, it's like, put your back against a wall and try to break your own hand by punching. I genuinely don't think I could break my own hand doing this. And I'm not a professional fighter. But come on, guys, like, let's just be reasonable. To some extent, the rules of like rational thought must exist.
5: Also, if I can just add one second, Frank, for all the people in this industry, and it's not just fans, it's media and everyone else, too, who are like, you know, lions, not sheep. It's like, you guys got led around in the aftermath of this by the fervor of the Australian crowd. And I didn't think the commentary was bad, but it certainly painted Volkanovsky in a very positive light, which, again, is not altogether unfair. But the fervor that got whipped up about it. Like this was some grand robbery or whatever. And this is winning a round in the fourth when the fucking guy himself is not even saying he won the round. Okay. uh, The defense rests.
3: I'm I'm so, I'm so thrilled with how this show is starting. We're like literally one question into it, but, um, The fight has been broken down in every facet of this point, and I'm glad you mentioned the fourth round. We don't need to get into it much more, but the storylines have just been so interesting with everything from cheating accusations to who won and the stocks of both fighters overall. So, Luke, it's clear that Volkanovsky's stock rose in this fight. And heading in, and some people were like, this doesn't make any sense, but I felt like Volk needed to be absolutely perfect to win this one or as close to it as possible, and he was pretty close. Don't get me wrong but it wasn't enough to get it done. And Makachev didn't necessarily have to be perfect to win just based on what he brings to the table. And he certainly wasn't, but he came through. And when he needed a moment to happen in the fight, he made it happen. So a lot of talk about Makachev's stock coming out of this fight. And I think a lot of people got a little more respect for his striking, giving him a little more credit than he got heading into it. But it was also very, very high heading into this fight. He was a massive favorite heading into this one. The betting odds, the opinion suggested that. But did his stock stay the same to you? Did it go up? Did it drop a tad with this fight and performance in your eyes? Were you out with this? Because everyone seems to be in all different roads here.
5: I mean, if you wanted to ask me whether or not his stock dropped with the public and you're just trying to observe what is happening in front of you, I would argue it probably did a little bit. It's funny, though. One thing we're not really saying out loud, and I think we kind of should, is that. I noticed a monster turn for him as a popular figure, Makachev, after the Olavera fight, and certainly there was evidence for it in this fight as well. I don't know if that will show up necessarily in pay-per-view sales, but in terms of just attention, interest on Makachev, um, it is at an all-time high or pretty close to it. I think we should say that. But in terms of like what you pointed out, the stock, and how people view him as a prevailing, or at least um, ostensibly could have a case for number one pound for pound, yeah, I do think he took a hit. But honestly, I just, I don't, I got to tell you, like I just don't buy into that worldview really at all. It's not to say that you couldn't argue Volkanovsky stock uh, went up more and maybe even should have gone up more, right? I mean, what he had, he was fighting an uphill battle, right? He was, as to your point, an underdog. He was the smaller guy moving up a weight class. Like There's all these things where he should get, even in a losing effort, a lot of credit for the success that he had and the, the risks that he was accepting. But at the same time, for Makachev to have his back for as long as he did in the fourth, even if you know part of it was, I think, a little bit too long, but to get it in the first, to get the takedowns, I think he got four of nine, obviously out in the control time, and then to outstrike him on the feet. Dude, I'm sorry, on what planet is that not impressive? I mean, you just have to be willfully cheerleading Volkanovsky. By the way, I mean, I think everyone on this panel is a Volkanovsky fan and has been an advocate for him for some time. I mean, coming out before that, too, the Mendes fight and everything, but coming out of the Aldo fight, You're like, oh, my God, this guy is like massively unheralded. And so I understand that um, folks are now finally catching up to that reality. And that's okay. Welcome to the party. We've been here for a while. But nevertheless, just looking at what. Makachev was up against. People want to take away everything from him because he had something of a 10-pound advantage. You're going, you're, you're going up against the guy who was the number one pound-for-pound pound fighter whose power and strength carries up weight classes. Beating that guy, subduing him at times, outstriking him on the feet is massively impressive, insanely impressive, even if we grant that Volkanovsky's uphill climb and what he was able to turn in also requires us to heap praise upon him. I think people want to deny Makachev based on certain expectations that they had for him or certain media narratives or he's not the Habib I remember, I miss Habib, XOXO. <laughs> and that's, I get that sentiment. We all miss Habib, but this dude is a hammer. He is a defensively sound hammer. He's a, turns out, a very well-rounded hammer and a guy who I think does not get in the respect he deserves at all coming off that win.
3: Jed, what say you? Islam stock. Is it up, down, or did it stay the same? And staying the same is still pretty damn good because it was already really high to begin with. It's up, and
4: if you don't think it's up, then to to borrow Luke's phrase, you're a frigging donk, man. <laughs> like I don't, we, we do not have to exist in a world where only one of these can be true. Both men can rise from this fight. And if you were looking at this with any sort of an eye or understanding about mixed martial arts, Islam Makachev is a better fighter today than he was last week because holy shit, that was impressive. Like we get into the numbers, which we, I don't think really got brought up enough. But if you're just looking at like this is the fewest strikes Alexander Volkanovsky has landed basically in his entire career, uh, certainly in any of his five-round fights, his success rate is impossibly low compared to what it normally is. Like, And this is, this is in the areas he's supposed to succeed in, <laughs> and, he, and he isn't. It is – so unfathom, it's not unfathomable, actually. I was gonna say it's unfathomable, but I totally understand why it is. But the only reasonable takeaway is holy shit, Islam Makachev is better than we thought he was going in. Sure, he didn't run right over Alexander Volkanovsky, like some, myself included, said, but if you had told me or any of those people beforehand, here's what this fight's gonna look like: Islam's going to win the grappling. Broadly and have some success, but it won't be the kind he normally has. And large swaths of this will play out on the feet. I think most people would have rationally said, then that's gonna be a really good fight for Alexander Volkanovsky. And it was a good fight for him. And he's still friggin' lost because Islam is, is him. He is him. And it's he won at the end of the day, Volkanovsky did amazing. He his stock goes up in my eyes and in the eyes of everybody. But at a very basic, simplistic level, Islamakachev won the grappling, not to the extent that he was supposed to, but he won the grappling exchanges largely, and he won the striking. And as a lot of people have noted coming out, I don't who who is gonna offer him a much more difficult test than Alexander Volkanovsky? Guys can offer different kinds of tests, and Benil Dariush is a problem, but We're talking about this man's first title defense, choosing. He did not have to say, I want to go to Perth and fight the number one pound-for-pound fighter. He chose that, and that crowd and everything that it brought to the table, all of it. He willingly walked into that lion's den and comes out still the best lightweight in the world, one of, if not the number one pound-for-pound fighter in the world and still the dude that I think has the best chance to hold the lightweight belt for an extended period of time.
3: I didn't want to bring this up, but I'm going to do it anyways because it's been brought up a couple of times, and I feel like people are going to ask for it, so I'm just going to do it anyways because I've heard this a lot on our programming over the last few days in regards to Volkanovsky. Jed, I'll start with you because I know it's been said. Volkanovsky should still be the number one pound-for-pound fighter because he lost the contest, but he won the fight. Pride rules, Volk wins. Regular standard round-by-round MMA, Volk lost. Do you buy into that at all? Because in the end, I personally gave Makachev the number one spot in our pound-for-pound rankings because they fought. And while it was competitive and while Volkanovsky deserves praise galore, Makachev won, and I just can't ignore that, Jed. I just can't.
4: Uh, To be honest, I kind of don't really care. At this point, if if you have either one of them as your top pound for pound fighter, I'm cool with it. I'm also cool with a couple of other choices that you could throw in there, though these are going to be the the very two obvious ones. Uh, I understand the argument for leaving Volkanovski. I chose not to. I chose to put Islamakachev over him uh, for a number of reasons. Largely, you know, they sold us on that being the narrative going in, whether that's true or not. F it, I'm willing to, to give it its credence. And again, I think I've long been of the opinion that lightweight is the best division in the sport. And largely, if you're just the best lightweight, I'm kind of willing to throw you into the top three of the pound for pound because you're the best guy in the best weight class. And like I said, I think Islam stock only went up from this in the immediate aftermath. I know Casey uh, swapped his. He originally had Islam number one. He swapped to Volk. I was a little more in line with Casey's line of thinking. It was like, ah, oh, I, I totally understand it, but I we are splitting hairs and hairs that do not matter in any tangible way. These two dudes are it. They are the best. Whatever you want to value, however you want to put it, a okay with me because I don't. I not only don't have like a great argument for who should be, I super don't have a great argument for why one of them shouldn't be the best pound for pound fighter. These guys are it. Like these these are what we want at the top of this sport, these two dudes.
3: Yeah, it's one A, one B for me, but ultimately when you actually look at it, it's one and it's Makachev one by a hair, Volk two. But Luke, pound for pound talk, I, I think is just silly, but it's been a big topic. so i'm I'm curious how you would rate these two incredible fighters in on this topic. Is Islam one, Volk One? Like what do you ultimately land on?
5: The pound for pound discussion is lame in the sense that, everyone just talks past each other and it's very difficult to have it's it's very difficult to measure accomplishment across weight class right it just is it's very difficult i mean there's some ways to do it it's not impossible but when you get two really excellent guys like you've got here or excellent ladies whatever it just becomes very difficult especially when um they're further apart this is not the case they actually fought but you know what i mean like it's just hard. what is a heavyweight run of five wins versus a lightweight runner five wins it's just really hard to know even when all of them are ranked competitors although to jed's point i probably might side with the with the lightweight one but even then you couldn't get Guarantee it. It's just. It's just. There's no de facto rules, uh, but I do think there's a lot of value in asking the question: Who's the best fighter on the planet? Right. Like I, I don't. I don't think that's idle talk. That's actually pretty important. Everyone should have an idea of who that is. Who's the best fighter on the planet? And of course, best requires us to give some definitions. I don't have a problem with the ranking in either way, but I will say this: I think that the case for Volkanovsky as one is doable because right, he walked into that fight as number one fairly right and put it on him and certainly in the end of that fifth and again arguably in some other rounds he, he was able to, to take him and so it's a strong performance it's a commendable one again all the mention all the things we talked about going uphill but the reality for me is this man like you guys walked in there and something should be on the line like this I to me what is happening is a lot of people who are voting for volkanovsky it's not to say there's not a case for it there is, or a lot of people at least publicly expressing their sentiment that he's number one, you can do it, you can make that case, it's not difficult. But I feel like what's actually happening is a lot of people are voting him that way, or at least expressing sentiment that way, as a protest against a decision they don't like. That's not the same. That's not the same. You don't actually get to vote him that way, because you didn't like the decision, you should vote him that way, based on the strengths of the performances by itself. And to me, you can do that, and then acknowledge that he came up short. If you come up short and you're a number one versus number two, something should be on the line there. Something should be up for grabs, and the winner should be able to take it. So for me, I think if you wanted to argue Volkanovsky should remain pound-for-pound pound number one, or more loosely, the best fighter in the sport, fine. It's like no, really no argument. But just make sure you're not doing it because you just didn't like the decision and you want somewhere – to place your frustration. That, I cannot abide by.
3: Last thing, I I do wanna bring this up so that this has become more prevalent over the last 12 to 15 hours or so, but in pretty much throughout the week, we saw the cheating accusations. Dan Hooker tweets it out. Volkanovski alluded to it when he spoke to Ariel in that interview that was pre-recorded before the tweet actually came out. Eugene Berriman talked about it a little bit yesterday in the MA Hour. And since then, the UFC has sent out an email to the fighters and the managers about IV use. And then if you go on Twitter, Jeff Davitsky put out a, a, a thread on Twitter and essentially saying that IV use is okay as long as it's received in the course of <laughs> hospital treatments and surgical procedures. I'm pulling it up right now. sport clinical diagnostic investigations those received from a licensed medical professional after a licensed physician determines they are medically justified they need permission from the athletic commission and they need to disclose the use of the commission after so apparently because of the response maybe there's a little smoke to this but if makachev checked off all those boxes and maybe he did don't really know for sure because no one's really saying anything but if he did this is for naught but islam tweeted earlier today that you must be held accountable for such accusations. But I figure since it's being talked about a lot, I got out a lot this morning on Heck of a Morning Luke. Where are we at with this? What what did you make of all this, the UFC sending out the email and explaining it? Like, where are we at with this? Is this a story or what do you think?
5: Uh, It's a story, but not the story that has been presented the way it's been presented. I just want to be very clear about something. Like, what is the, I have jury duty coming up. Where's my jury summons? I actually have a jury summons here. Look at this. I got an effing jury summons from the city of Washington, D.C. This will be like my fifth time doing it. I get jury duty all the time. Uh, what is the actual evidence submitted to the public record that Makachev broke any rule? And the answer is zero. Nothing. Doesn't exist. Not there. So when folks are like, what do you make of X's accusations or Y's thoughts? I don't make anything of it. I will make something of it only when, if and only if, evidence that corroborates these claims is introduced, such that it is not, I, it, is, it is as if it doesn't exist to me. So, I and mean, people making these, broad, well, he, they wouldn't say it if there wasn't any proof. What is the evidence that you are aware of that any rule was broken by Islam Makhachev or any other fighter at UFC 284? they don't have any, it doesn't exist. None, zero. A, ju- a judge, I don't know, but Jed is a lawyer. He might tell me this is wrong, but I feel like a judge would look at this and just toss this shit out, be like, well, there's nothing here. You don't have anything. You just have accusations. That's number one. Due process matters. Due process gets in the way of fun media narratives. I get that. Due process gets in the way of fire and brimstone. And we all love that. But due process is important. To my knowledge, there is no evidence. The funny part That I do think is the the real story here is nobody knows the fucking rules. I mean, nobody. (laughs) Jeff Nowitzki, Jeff Nowitzki gets on Twitter yesterday. I'm not saying he's lying. He's probably telling the truth that in 2019, they just changed all these fucking rules, by the way. The fighters don't even know that they changed the rules. Oh, we told the fighters. Yeah, well, they don't know. So fuck all that. Doesn't matter what you told them. They don't know. (laughs) You changed them in 2019. Who said that? Did the media report on that? I don't recall anyone alerting the media that any of this shit had actually happened, which, by the way, would help fighters know that these rules were changed. And also, by the way, the rules are like, (laughs) like, okay, you definitely can't use an IV. Ah, bullshit, you can't. Just get a doctor to say you can't. What, the commission's going to say no when a doctor says, get the fuck out of here with this. All you need <laughs> is a personal doctor to be like, yeah, this motherfucker's dehydrated. Give him an IV. And it's done. We got we got all this lecturing about how you saw the adults in the room and we're going to stop these bad practices. Nobody knows the rules. They change it whenever they want. They don't tell the fucking media nothing zero anything so my response to this is like lol yeah you know like (laughs) makachev 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 i guess knew the rules and no one else did to me i'm like where's the fucking problem here there isn't one move on Jed, is is this is
3: this the 2023 version of trying to get a medicinal marijuana card in california in like 2005 where you just create something and a doctor will just write something up so you can go get it like we're like it just seems very strange and luke's Luke's explanation was was pretty hilarious, but I mean, right. is this a story? I mean, w- w- this has been a big topic today for for some reason.
4: It's a story because people don't know any better. Uh, to use your analogy, I don't think your analogy is quite correct in that uh, the people who were making things up to get medical marijuana cards were usually were making things up because they want to smoke pot. <laughs> By definition. <laughs> Every fighter will be dehydrated post wagons. Like, this is actually like every fighter should just do this. Luke's 100% right. Uh, you know my stance on USADA. I have long thought it was an incredibly invasive waste of money and incredibly stupid. Uh, and this just feels like an in, in iteration on that. It's a story because people want it to be one. And to Luke's earlier point, it feels very much like they want it to be a story in the same way Luke was saying people voting Alexander Volkanovsky number one because they didn't like the decision. It feels like that and – because there is no evidence. And you – freaking – Eugene Behrman was on the MMA Hour yesterday and he – his answer is a very incredibly thoughtful dude, like does not speak with a just firing off at the hip, was like – So we don't have evidence is functionally what he says. Like we have reliable to a point that an IV was used and that's it. And so like, that's not evidence by the way that he says it, that they believe that it is true. And then he even acknowledges that they don't know if Islam used it or if it was Zubaira. They don't know how much was used. They don't know shit. Nobody knows shit because there is nothing to know. And I want to be extremely clear. I wouldn't give a flying fuck if we had a video of him mainlining three gallons of water. It would <laughs> not matter to me at all. If you are a hardline rule person and you that video came out... I would acknowledge and accept stripping Islam of the belt for cheating in the same way that I was like, we probably should strip Charles Oliveira of his lightweight title because he didn't make weight and it is a contractual and a a rule-following portion of this. But I didn't come out being like – well, Justin Gaethje got screwed because Oliveira <laughs> weighed a half pound over, and so we got to run that one back. Like, no, because it's not how it works. They fought. It didn't. It's not going to make a tangible difference to the outcome. And in the same way, because I've had this argument too. Yeah, well, they usually weigh to 156 pounds, so that extra pound, it's it's not the same thing at all. It's entirely the same thing. They had a they had. 36 hours less or whatever it is, not 36, 12 hours less because they fought in Australia. And so they didn't get the normal refill time. None of this means shit. Nobody should care. And you know, the reason that people do is because they don't want Ismail to have won that fight. And that and it really is as simple as that. And so it, look, if something comes out and he, like I said, he took three gallons of water, we can strip him of the belt. That's fine. But who gives a shit, guys? The fight's over. The outcome was just, we can move on to new business and appreciate that's so far the best fight of 2023. And, you know, maybe by the end of the year, it will still be the best fight of 2023.
3: There you go. I asked about it. Now we can move on. And we will move on from this conversation to talk about something that just isn't getting enough love. And we're going to do that in round two. but, But the point for round one goes to, Luke Thomas. I mean, just hey. a, a, what a, I mean, it was like a Makachev-esque perfectly timed takedown to, to take that round on, on the final leg of it. So, Dude, that
4: takedown was
3: sick. Yeah, it was good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that takedown was good. That takedown was nasty. It really was. So The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA.
2: that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com.
3: I want to dedicate a a round to the performance of Yaya Rodriguez on Saturday against Josh Emmett because... I don't think Yair winning came as much of a surprise. I don't think him finishing Josh Emmett came as much of a surprise, but the way that he did it. And yeah, there were moments in that fight that got a wee bit hairy, but for the most part, Yair looked incredible. It seems like he's gotten over that hump and it appears like he has leveled up. So Luke, I will start with you. I spoke with John Anik yesterday and he said something to the effect of, if you're a UFC fan and you've never seen a UFC event live, save your money, and as soon as Yair Rodriguez comes to a, is, is part of a fight card in any city remotely close to you, drop the hammer on that buy tickets button because he is on another one right now. Do you agree with that after what we saw from Yair Rodriguez on Saturday night?
5: Yeah, I certainly do. I did a breakdown yesterday. I mean, partly everyone's just kind of taken the main event to death, and so I wanted a bit of a fresh look, and I just felt like, Yay yeah, Rodriguez really came into his own. That that that's arguably, I mean, you know, he beat Brian Ortega quicker and he's had some more, you know, dominant flashy like the win over Andre Feely is more dominant. But in terms of like a quality opponent and the stakes and everything, that honestly might be his best performance. And the reason why I say that is because if, if you want to go and look at the, I did an examination of the fight for my personal YouTube channel. And I, I, one of the things I really I took from it, cause I went back and I watched the Holloway fight. I went back and I watched the Stevens fight. I went back and I watched, um, I think some of the other ones that he had recently. And what I noticed from this fight, and it could have been Emmett specific, but certainly it's something he could use more broadly, especially in the bigger cage. He couldn't really use it against Holloway um, in the small apex cage. Is that he ha- his striking system is now gelling. Right. Everything is coming together. And one of the big keys to his victory here was movement. He had lateral movement, he had blitzing, which he always had blitzing, but he was able to incorporate it with a lot more movement through stance switch, pulling Emmett into problems, uh, obviously getting him to bite on feints and bounce into traps he was setting. And he did it over and over and over again. And then he just builds on top of it. Um, obviously, with this the the, these permutations of kicking into punching and then switching everything up and then using feints to set up the kick and then kick the punch, and then this is constant chain of connectivity and all of it is working. All of it is firing. And really to beat a guy like Emmett the way he did was magic. It was awesome. And I just felt like it was efficient. He has weapons everywhere. There's not, there's some positions certainly where he's stronger. There's certainly contexts where he's stronger, but even in weaker context he's got offense even off of his back for example from guard he's got submissions and ground upon where he can extend like an accordion and then whip back with his elbow at the top of someone's head he is constantly disruptive he is constantly attacking and devastating at the same time right not just a guy who's flashy and fun and acrobatic but mean and devastating the whole way through he's got all of that and then some and i want to make one more point too and this is why I think folks need to have a little bit more respect about his chances against Volkanovsky. Now, anyone up against Volkanovsky has got a long night, right? It's, it, to beat that guy, it's difficult, especially if you're a 145-er. Super difficult. And if you wanted to favor Volkanovsky, I certainly wouldn't talk you out of it. But one thing I want to pay attention to was Josh Emmett is arguably one of the hardest hitters, pure power, right, in featherweight history. There are two times, and one in particular, he lands flush, on Yair Rodriguez. I mean, whips his head like the exorcist and then some. And Yair just took it. He just took it. Why do I bring this up? He doesn't make many mistakes, but even when he does, he's got a certain level of durability to complement this incredibly violent style where everything is coming together. And now you're seeing the brain power adding movement. All the stance switching he was doing already, now he's got this bigger dance he's doing in front of everyone else, and it is awesome. I love his chances, to be honest with you, against any 101 on 145, and I can't wait to see what happens against Volkanovski. No fight, no Islam rematch should get in front of that one. That one is an all-action affair.
3: Jed, not enough has been said about this performance from Yair Rodriguez because it's just been buried with all the main event stuff. But how impressed were you with his performance a few days later? And, you know, Luke talked about how you gauge his chances against Volkanovski. I would say they're much better than I thought Saturday morning after watching how, how Yair performed against Josh Emmett. So the performance and a future matchup with Volkanovski, how much more interesting is that fight now to you?
4: They are both awesome. His performance was exceptional. Uh, Luke stole the point that I wanted to lead with. I thought he was going to forget it. Uh, Yair's durability will make that matchup incredibly fun for me because Josh Emmett can can hurt people. If Josh Emmett's doing this to you, I might actually give that a little more credence than Volk's just because that dude swings hammers, and he landed clean and didn't really get – much out of it except for kicked in the guts over and over again and that's the other part of it that really get gets me excited for this because Yair is dangerous at all points like Luke said he is mean with those kicks those body kicks were just brutal you had Josh Emmett it took him all of Six minutes to get Josh Emmett looking like he didn't really want to be involved in, in what was going on at that point in time. And Josh Emmett is a tough mother effer. And what happened in the main event at 284? Isla Makachev won the striking in a lot of ways. One of his best weapons was landing knees when Volkanovsky would come inside, those clenched knees from the tie, and he was whipping body kicks in. And Volk didn't have a ton of great answers for that side of switching stances and adjusting. And I, you know, I know that there's a weight class difference. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Yair Rodriguez is a more dangerous kicker than Islam Makhachev. I could not be more excited for that fight. And I'll be frank, that's part of what has me. So confused by the like immediate reaction to the main event and demanding a rematch, like, I would watch that fight if that fight happens down the line. It will be great. But like I I left 284 thinking, I cannot wait to watch Jair Rodriguez fight Alexander Volkanovsky, because frankly, I think he has a good chance to win the fight. I still might ultimately have to default to Volkanovsky because we've seen so limited points where he has been in danger. He has struggled the, the ways he struggled against Islam largely won't be the same in that fight. But dude, that that's number one with the bullet. That's one of my most anticipated fights in the entire sport at this point. I don't know how you don't go to that next.
5: Also, can I even, though it, even
4: though Volk doesn't want it.
5: <laughs> yeah. Okay, one more point to think about. Let's say, let's say that you or the UFC rankings kept Volk at number one for pound for pound, if I believe. But let's let's posit a scenario where they actually switched, right? Let's say he was two and Islam was one. It is conceivable to me that based on who those two fight next, that if both of them win, but like if Islam takes on, you know, I don't know, Connor or something, but then Volk beats y- Yair, dude, beating Yair is. Hard and you're he's going to take a pound of flesh on the way with it. If you beat him, I could see a case for Volk to reclaim one in any kind of situation where he was sitting at number two. Obviously, he's still sitting at one, but that, that, that I'm trying to point out the significance of a victory there against that quality and opponent is extraordinary. It'd be huge either way. Uh, both of them would take a jump in there, or whoever wins would take a jump in the pound, for pound including two to one if it was Volk. And I
4: completely like your. You'll remember, Mike, that all I wanted, I didn't want this this fight. I'd never wanted the 284. All I wanted was to see Volkanovsky defend his belt against dudes that weren't named Max Holloway because anything could happen. And featherweight is filled with freaking monsters as well that nobody's giving credit for. And like, I, I felt vindicated on Saturday watch. I was like, yeah, I was right. That, that fight would have been sick if Yair had fought Volk. fight would have been awesome. If Arnold Allen goes out here and blows the doors off Max, which I kind of think is going to happen, Arnold Allen versus Volk is, is magic and insane. Fight these fights first. Clean out the division actually instead of just running the score up on Max, and then we can redo this lightweight
3: fight. So... Let's let's go to this real quick because I, these always create nice little conversation pieces because obviously Volkanovski losing to Makachev, competitive or not, you're both right. I feel like we have a clear path for Volk versus Yair. Makachev's a little different because Dariush is there. looks like he's agreed to fight Charles Oliveira in May, but contracts haven't been signed. But could they pull Dariush from that one? Just give him the title shot with Islam? Do they go ahead with that fight? And if Dariush wins, it's just undeniable. Or let's just say... Volk and Makachev are ready come June, July. Yair's not ready. Dariush wins against Oliveira, but it's a war, and he's going to be out for a minute. There is a real world, especially in this current UFC matchmaking structure, where they would try to book a rematch. So, Jed, I want to start with you. There's what should happen, which is what both of you guys laid out. Just fight the dudes in your division. Let's build this thing up. And then there's what will happen. Are both answers the same in your mind?
4: i think so um i just it's a really tough sell unless it is a very narrow window for you to run that rematch back and this is maybe the argument i've been having the most from the from the donks in my dms of you got to run it back that fight was very close like yeah close fights happen all the time the fight wasn't controversial on rewatch i actually think that fight was less close than i thought not that it wasn't competitive but like I, on the night, scored it 4-1 Makhachev, Uh, but with the caveat being I was live blogging, and I totally could have seen it being 3-2 Volk, uh, and I still, a lot of that's true, but, like, I feel really good about a 4-1 Makachev. certainly a 3-2 Makachev scorecard, and this isn't heavyweight. This isn't women's featherweight where there's nothing else going on, and we just don't have shit else to do, so, sure, run it back, I guess, like... Lightweight is the best division in the sport. Throw a rock, and and one of those dudes should be fighting for the belt. Like, anybody in the top 25 of that weight class would be cool, and certainly several dudes in the top 15 deserve their chance. none more so than Benny Dariush. You've got Faziv is about to take on Justin Gaethje. If Faziv comes out of here and tunes up Justin Gaethje, newsflash, he also deserves a lightweight title shot. And then Conor McGregor is around because that will forever be something that matters apparently you just gotta handle the other business first and i think that that is what's going to happen volk may not like it but he is gonna get stuck fighting a at some point makachev it will just depend when he wants to come back Ramadan's coming up if he wants to come back in the early summer maybe you do can just pull benny out of that and be like hey yeah pull them out let's go if not makachev probably would be okay waiting frankly if they're going to do this in may for Oliveira benny benny wins that fight he is iron number one with the bullet easy choice you run that in late summer early fall and there we go so i think that's what's going to happen i think we're going to get both men in their respective divisions defending belts against worthy challengers
3: Luke is what will happen and what should happen the same because Volk, I think is kind of a wild card here because I think he's going to be ready to go as soon as possible. And he's going to be just jarring to get back in there. And I don't know, like, I don't know if Yair is going to be ready in three months, but Volk certainly will be. And Volk seems to have a lot of hype and hubbub around him right now that I don't know if the UFC is going to be able to ignore in this situation. So I think it's a question to be had. What should happen should happen but what will happen? Is it the same?
5: Probably. I'm going to bet against an immediate rematch happening. That's cards on the table. I don't think it'll happen. I don't, I don't think it'll happen for a few reasons. One, um, I don't think the UFC thinks that they could necessarily make an extraordinary profit from it, right? Like if they really believe they could do five, six, 700,000 buys on a rematch, they'd probably just pull the trigger and that would be that, but we're not really in that territory. I suspect it's A fraction of that. So that's going to make some of that's going to affect some of the decision making here. Probably will be the ultimate arbiter, if we're being honest. Um, And so I don't think it would do poorly. I think it would do well. I mean, in fact, what's kind of funny is when they do book a rematch, a world tour for media actually does make sense this time, like a lot, it made sense last time, but like you could really make something of it this time, especially have a lot of fun. So, uh, but the, the, in terms of its box office returns, it's not really gonna force their hand. And the other part too is do does the UFC really wanna be in a place where potentially Yair Rodriguez is having to defend his interim strap while the other guy goes and has another set of rematches against someone else. It's like, that seems unlikely to me. And the other part too, About this fight that i think folks should just wrap their head around is the first fight between them was great but not essential we didn't have to have it right we didn't have to have the featherweight champ fighting the lightweight champ if you're the featherweight champ you do have an obligation to defend your title and if you can't they'll strip you of it and find someone else who will like there is an obligation there so the question is what is the what is the necessity in making the rematch it'd be a fun fight sure Uh, it could settle some disputes, sure. But these are not overarching reasons to do it, at least not immediately. Again, a year from now, whatever, like a little bit down the line, I actually feel like that makes a lot of sense. But this immediate sense of there not being a dramatic box office return, they're not going to go back to Perth for it. They probably would go somewhere stateside for that one. Um, And then on top of that, right, this notion that like you've got all of these exciting contenders, not merely with an interim champ. I mean, dude, like what happens if they fight again and then makachev gets injured after the second fight they're gonna to have to create another interim title at lightweight who the hell wants any of this this is a waste of time right now great fight hope we see it but i don't think there's a good case to do it immediately and i think that the ufc will examine the evidence from what the market will actually bear for this right now versus some other alternatives and some schedule needs and they're going to go ahead and say let's let's get vulcan and uh, yair together and we'll figure out 155 when we get some of the results in the only chance that, I think, yeah, go ahead. i say to
4: go off that very quick, like I could see it immediately happening if they weren't in Perth just now. If Perth was on the cards for three months from now, 287 mm-hmm. or whatever, I could then understand that. Like I still wouldn't agree that it should happen, but I could see that being like, hey, Volk came over here. It, they fought, it's competitive. They want to get right back after it. We need. We need a headliner for Perth. Here, just lock it in. Let's go. That would make sense. They just did it in Perth. They can't go back to Australia. And like, that was a big part of why that event felt fun and exciting and interesting. Like, was it being Volk going at home? So I I just, you can't do it. And if if Volk really wants to pursue this belt, drop the 145, man. Like, that's it. Then that's, I will at least be more okay with it. he's like, yeah, I'm just going to be a lightweight now. Fight any of the other dudes at lightweight. Fight Benny Dariush. Go fight him. They haven't. The ink is not dry on Charles Oliveira. You want to get back quick? Fight Benny Dereyushimay for the number one contender spot. You win that fight, can't argue against it. it. Unimpeachable at that point that the man can get a can get a title shot. But if it's just I'm the featherweight champ and I lost competitively and I'm not okay with losing, I want to have won so I get another crack at it. Miss me with that shit.
3: Yeah, I think the only chance it happens is if the summer rolls around or like we're before the summer and they needed a main event for international fight week. And like John Jones can't fight and none of the bigger names can fight. I think that's the only chance this fight happens again, like next. Otherwise, and like Yair's not ready or something like that. Other than that, I just don't see any purpose at all to do an immediate rematch at this point. But a year from now, they both rattle off two, three more defenses. The fight's so much bigger and so much more fascinating especially with where Makachev will end up being in his career. He might just be like, eh, I'm going to fall Habib and just go out on top. But before I go, there's that one competitive fight that I just need to to prove my doubters wrong, that it shouldn't have been competitive in the first place. So I love it. We'll see what happens. Hopefully we get Volk Yair, Makachev versus TBD, and let's move these divisions forward. But the point for round two goes to... Jed Bashu, it's one to oh, one closing the book snap <laughs> Luke, Luke being the first time here if he ever comes back he'll realize that the points I give actually don't matter at all and you'll find out in a moment but let's uh, let's close the book on UFC 284 real quick for the time being this is the best of the restaurant and Jed I'll start with you here Seems like Jack Della Maddalena is the most obvious answer for fighters outside of the two title fights that had themselves a big old stock boost and he deserves his praise for that performance and we will talk about him in a minute but let's dig a little deeper which fighter on the card had the biggest impression on you outside of the top 4 guys Madalena, Yair and the two main eventers. You're muted.
4: There were, uh, sorry, uh, that's loud in my house, so I mute when I'm not on mic. There are only two answers I will accept for this. The first is Loma Luke Bonmi, who is just, I I know no one's gonna really care about this, but out of nowhere, she just turned into this like D1 (laughs) suplexing wrestler and and grappling artist, which was incredibly cool. Uh, But the true answer, the only right answer, Mike, Cletson Rodriguez knocked somebody out with his ass. (laughs) When do we ever see the ass knockout? Not since the days of Mark Hunt and the atomic butt drop has an ass been weaponized as effectively as (laughs) Clemson Rodriguez used. Scoring a knockout. The fact that that man did not get a bonus. God love JDM. Jackie three names. Great performance. Awesome. He was like the fifth most deserving post-fight bonus winner of the night and certainly shouldn't have gotten it over the ass knockout. I don't know what we're doing sometimes when an ass KO can't get the love that it deserves. But I'm here to tell you guys, if you didn't watch it for whatever reason, go watch it. I think we have the highlight clip up on MMAfighting.com. Great web- website. Klitson Rodriguez just assing Shannon Ross right on out of the cage.
3: There it is. First, first sound effect. Uh, Luke, what do you think? Is it one of those two or or are you thinking a little outside of that?
5: Well, I've definitely dated some women that could KO you with their ass, but that aside, um, I actually disagree a little bit. The ass KO was nice. The ass KO was nice, but you know, I'm a little bit like scarred from, well, not scarred is not the right word, but uh, I just feel so bad for Mark Sanchez after the butt fumble. I can't, (laughs) I can't get into too much sports ass play if such a thing exists. So I'll go to the front of the bus. How about Joshua Kulabauk? Becoming a eunuch in real time when they castrated him, uh, Melsik Bagder- Bagdasarian does it, kicks him in the balls in like the hardest way imaginable and still comes back to win the fight. Bagdasarian was up in his grill at the weigh-ins, kind of shoving him, doing all this kind of shit. Goes in there, suffers through you know, 19th century castration methods by getting kicked there, rallies back and then jumps on his back and then snatches one of the best rear naked chokes in terms of like presence of mind and how quickly he got it on you're ever going to see. As a, as a, my mom was Armenian. So as a half Armenian, I hate to pick against Armenians, but, but the record is what the record is. My man took uh, a a tremendous shot to the jewels and still came back to get a stoppage win in his hometown or home country anyway. Great job by Joshua Kulibar.
3: Yeah, both great picks. And as far as JDM goes, Luke, look, he looked great. Goes out there. He subs Randy Brown in the first. I know betters around the world were not thrilled with how JDM won, but they wanted the KO. Gets the sub. Ceiling seems very high, but how high is it? Like, what questions do you still have about him? And what would you like to see next for him in an attempt to answer some of those
5: questions? Got to be someone inside the top 11 to 15. There's some great names at Welterweight. There's some really great names at Welterweight down there. Honestly, a Neil Magny fight might be kind of interesting. The reality is he's got, what, like four UFC fights, five if you count Contender Series, and all the ones in the UFC, I think not the Contender Series, or I have to go back and double check, but all the ones in the UFC have been like first-round stoppages basically, and that's great. That's very impressive, but it just doesn't tell you what happens when shit goes south, and you might be like, oh, well, it doesn't go south because he's so good, which is true, but he's so good relative to that opposition. Raise the level of opposition, it just becomes a much bigger fact-finding mission. He looked good against Ramazan Ameev, but what does somebody do who's got better wrestling than him, and he's really sticking it to him through two and a half, maybe even three rounds? What happens if he gets hurt? How well does he rally? Does he have particularly, does he have any like, uh, you know, Cowboy was very vulnerable to the body. Does he have any kind of issues like that? We just haven't, the real way to know about someone, and this is why Fedor was kind of important in a certain way. Fedor had these like grand moments of brilliance, and i'm not comparing jack Dale la to fado but i'm just saying but he also had times where, like fujita nearly beat him or guys would jump him drop him on his head he would just find a way to rally and so you got a better sense of like what happens at that stage in his career when when things go poorly we simply don't have that yet we'll get a better answer of it as he moves up the 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 weight or the, the rankings so that is a very necessary move for him jed what say you
4: I mean, it it depends what we want to do with Jackie three names, right? Like, because a part of me, and I think the thing that fans have gravitated towards the most and what I wouldn't be shocked if happens, if we just run out Vicente Luque, because how can you argue with something as beautifully violent as that fight would be? You can't. It's an unimpeachably great thing. As far, If we're trying to treat him like a guy we would like to see develop and let's test different aspects of his game, I think Neil Magny actually is like the correct opponent because Neil is super durable, good, well-rounded, good in all phases, like can, can present stuff to JDM that we just haven't seen him deal with, which is really good for knowing, okay, is he a top five guy? Is this a future title challenger? Where exactly in the realm of prospects is he? But come on, man. Like – am I ever going to say we should pick a Neil Magny fight? Because nobody has ever been like, I would like to watch Neil Magny fist fight. Sometimes it works out well, but he's not the first guy. And Welterweight has so many dudes that you can just mash JDM together like action figures with, and it would rule. So Vicente Luque, come on down, baby. Like, let's just get in the middle and chuck them and see who falls down. My guess is it'll be Luque because he's getting a little long in the tooth. But... This is just awesome. I'm excited for what is coming at Welterweight. We've got some we got some old blood in there that's going to slowly get weeded out over the next few years. But guys like JDM man, they are going to be they're going to make this division the same thing it's been forever, which is awesome.
3: Well, that is UFC 284, everybody. Let us move on to the final round of regulation. The point for round 3 goes to gonna give it to luke he uh he got me he nudged me slightly more in, in the neil magny thing i i wasn't sold on that at all but you kind of you kind
4: of i didn't realize i didn't
5: realize way. jed was a hater on neil magny wow that's a new one i like Neil. i not a hater
4: on i'm not a hater on neil magny i recognize he's a very good fighter but where does neil magny rank in the list of welterweights you are like itching to see compete it can't I be mean- high
5: I'll say this, I'll say this, as like, uh, I mean, I was siced when they put him up against Shavkat Rachmanov, you know, like to see sure. uh, Rachmaninoff. Yeah, because it's Shavkat. Right?
4: <laughs> yes, I accept. I would also have been interested in Magni versus Hamzat, or these other guys who are insanely cool. But if the choice is I can watch Vicente, Luque, and JDM, or Magni and JDM, one of those is
5: unimpeachably more exciting than the other. One's a little more exciting. One's a little more exciting. Yeah.
0: Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work,
3: where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work
2: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
3: Speaking of exciting, let's talk about this weekend in MMA and combat sports. It will dive Ooh, into I'm you. Not, I'm not watching
5: that shit. I'm not <laughs> watching that shit. I don't care if it's my job.
3: Oh, man. So I'll I'll present it like this, Luke, because <laughs> there's... <laughs> there's two There's two events that MMA fans are kind of looking at this weekend. We have the UFC event, and then tomorrow night, BKFC has Knuckle Mania with oh, guys like Diego Sanchez and John Dodson and his brother's fighting on the card and Greg Hardy's on the card. And if there's one thing BKFC does is they that's interesting to watch. But Luke, if if you could only watch one of these events this weekend and you couldn't even get results on the internet of the other, which one are you watching? The UFC card or the BKFC card?
5: Oh, BKFC card. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not even going to sit here and pretend. You know, listen, like I love MMA. MMA is my favorite sport, right? So it's not just to, to very clearly declare what I like and what I don't like. It's my favorite sport, but that doesn't mean I like every version of it. Uh, that doesn't mean I like it no matter what uh i would not say that i think i think fan they're used to maybe it still exists there definitely used to be a thing when mma was like post ultimate fighter was kind of expanding you know week over week month over month year over year uh where everyone was like yo i watch everything and i'm like that makes you undiscerning now there's a there's a there's a there's a Exception to that rule, which is the Grabaka hitman, Caposa on Twitter. He gets an exception because he actually does have a nose for what's good, and he understands like what's bad and what's not. But this idea that like I'm just going to consume more at the buffet of MMA content and aren't I a better fan. No, you're just a fan with shitty taste in fights. Like, that doesn't <laughs> make you better. No. So your main event is – phenomenal right I mean how many good things can you say about just Andrade versus Aaron Blanchfield I know it's you know short notice and Andrage is kind of all over the place in terms of weight classes but just as a fight like holy shit that fight is great and I don't have anything negative to say too much about like the other pieces on there but they don't do much for me it's it's the worst card arguably in UFC history probably in UFC history even when you factor in like you know, 1994-era cards and shit like that. It's just not great entertainment, and it's not it's not super high-level MMA really at all. Now, you might be like, well, what is BKFC? Dude, Dave Feldman's an interesting guy who runs BKFC. I mean, in the end, BK, bare-knuckle kind of is what it is, but John Dotson actually looked pretty good. I don't love Diego Sanchez fighting Austin Trout, even though Austin Trout's kind of a, you know, post-prime, stage of his career uh that one should still not go well for Diego I don't know how much I love that but but the the guy knows how to put together yes a carnival but you know he also has like BKFC has been somewhat enduring in ways that I think is surprising and have had some decent highlights and some good fighters along the way like the fact that Luis Palomino for example could never make it to the UFC but has had something of a late career resurgence through BKFC I actually think is pretty great uh, I love that story for Luis Palomino so yeah this is not a difficult level of arbitration we have to go through. The BKFC card is vastly more entertaining. I'll be spending my time such as I have to watching that. Chad, are you are, are you on team BKFC here?
4: No, for a couple of reasons. You First, fucking liar.
5: You liar. I'm,
4: I'm absolutely not. And there are some very good reasons here. Luke. I will also stick to your earlier point of, yeah, it's fine when Kaposa does this shit because he's the best at it. But if you're like the 50th best yo yoer you're just a freaking weirdo and you got to be number one or not at all. And so that's, I'm with you on that. The problem is threefold. One, The UFC has one fewer fight. That matters substantially to me when you're looking at the quality of some of these bouts. 11 fights versus 12, give me the UFC. Two, you're saying I don't get to get the results at all. I would like to know the result of this weekend's main event. I have a good feeling on how it's going to go. But I really, that fight, I very much want to see. Kind of don't give a single solitary shit about the other 10 on the card, but the main event is still very good, albeit short notice, et cetera. And three, and the most important one, and one that I think we can all agree on, uh, one of the best things that's happened in recent MMA history is the UFC finally got rid of Greg Hardy. It took him way longer than it should have. But he no longer has to play a role in my life in any way, and I feel enriched and better about myself by not being like, I have to watch Greg Hardy fight people, and if I chose to watch BKFC, I would be choosing to watch Greg Hardy fight people. So, for that reason, and because I don't want to see bad things happen to Diego Sanchez, the BKFC thing, undeniably, probably will be more entertaining. If you're just a dude, watching, want to watch some fights, probably go that one, but... It is a lot higher percentage to make me sad than the UFC one, which will largely just make me bored. And I'll take bored over sad any day <laughs> of the week.
5: I prefer. I vastly prefer sad. I have for forty three years. It's a better <laughs> way to go.
4: I think that says something about you, Luke. <laughs> Gotta be honest. Might be why you have more gray hairs than I do. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs>
3: The 12 BKFC fights will be over in like 90 minutes, which is another good perk of watching BKFC cards. They just go one after the other after the other. So it's not even like- They do have good pacing. Like 12 fights, Tremendous pace. Uh, last bad. thing, uh, the main event is obviously great, Jed. Tyler Santos versus Aaron Blanchfield don't, no longer- Don't ask me to low-key banger this fucking card. No, 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 no. I would never do that. <laughs> okay. Stay tuned for the preview show. We'll get some answers. But it's just Gondrads versus Aaron Blanchfield now. It's a different fight altogether. I guess, are are you more or less intrigued by this fight compared to the Santos one? I felt like the Santos one, we reacted very positively, and the Andrade one, there's still positive reactions, but it was kind of like, ooh, this is this is different. What's at stake here for these two ladies as well?
4: I'd say that I'm less intrigued, but I'm more excited, if that makes sense. I really didn't feel like I had a great bead on what was going to happen in Blanchfield-Santos. I think I was going to take Blanchfield because they've just been super high on air, but... Santos so vastly overperformed in her most recent fight that it raises questions about how good she is, etc. So I was more intrigued by that. I feel pretty good about Jessica Andrade's chances to win this fight based on what we've seen thus far. But one, going back to my previous point, if the choice is between watching Tyler Santos fight and Jessica Andrade fight, I know which corner I'm a stand on in that particular debate. And two... This has a higher upside for me, uh, not just in entertainment, but in in what comes next. Because if Aaron Blanchard beats Tyler Santos, she probably is still sort of next in line after Grasso to get the next title shot at Valentina Shevchenko. And if she really runs over, then maybe I can have some level of interest or intrigue in that fight, right? Like I can talk myself into that being competitive and fun, but it's it's pretty narrow that that happens, where, where I can come out of that fight thinking Aaron Blanchfield is really going to cause problems for Valentina Shevchenko. Cannot wait to see it. I would mostly just be like, oh, she's going to get rushed a little, but let's see if maybe something cool can really happen. Different story if she beats Jessica Andrade. By hook or by crook, frankly. I don't really give a shit how she gets it done this weekend. Jessica Andrade is her. If JDM is him, Jessica Andrade is her. And so any way you beat her is impressive. And if Blanchfield, who's 24, comes out and and can beat this woman who has been unbeatable by everybody that's not a UFC champion functionally, then, whoo, buddy, sign me up. Like, pull Grosso, I don't give a shit about watching Grosso fight Shevchenko. If, if Blanchfield wins this one, just put Blanchfield in that and let's get cooking because we've got ourselves something really spicy. So I'm less intrigued because I think I know the outcome more or the more likely outcome, but I'm far more excited and there is a world where this is way, way cooler than the Santos fight.
3: Luke, what do you think?
5: Uh, pop quiz, Mike Heck. How many takedowns did Valentina Shevchenko get on Jessica Andrade when they fought in 2021? Do you remember? It was a couple, two or three. Yeah, try Seven. Try seven, five for five in round one, two for two in round two. She got them all. She went seven for seven on takedowns versus Jessica Andrade. Now, obviously, Aaron Blanchfield is not Valentina Shevchenko. This is not 2021-2021. Not the same Jessica Andrade. Lots of factors that are different. But something that really stood out to me, not just the number of takedowns that she got, she also got them all off the body lock. She got all body lock takedowns. Why is that important? Well, one, because you can use it when Andrade punches, you can get underneath and you can grab. But more to the point, she didn't attack the legs. She attacked the legs with someone who's got hammer fists. Like Andrade, she might take a hit. She never had to take a hit. She was able to get the takedowns uh, you know, by through contact, by you know slipping a punch or whatever, getting underneath it, going to the body like and getting on top. and she worked Jessica Andrage over. Now, I don't know if Aaron Blanchfield can do it, but let's just sort of stipulate that she can that she'll do something pretty similar folks your number one contender has arrived. Your Valentina Shevchenko dethroner is looking at you right in the face at that point. And I don't know if she can, right? This is so sudden so soon. But we sat down with her on Morning Combat for the RSD, the Room Service Diaries interview series that we do, and she was just very matter-of-fact. She's like, it doesn't really matter. She broke the Telesanto's Santos news on that interview, but she was like, it doesn't really matter who I fight. I, I I already am quite certain I'm better than all of them. Now, we hear that out of, you know, a lot of young bucks who come into the UFC. We will see how true that is. But given that there's a viable path for a late notice Jessica Andrade against a wrestling-centric, well-trained, obviously uh, very gifted athlete in in Aaron Blanchfield. To me, this is not just the best fight of the weekend by obviously a country mile, but massively, massively disruptive to that 125 division, given the potential outcome of it. And I cannot wait to see it. I love this fight, actually, for Aaron Blanchfield. And I, I don't know, listen, Andrade is a terrifying force, but if anyone's got maybe just the right ability to thread that needle, it could be Aaron Blanchfield. Cannot wait to see this one.
4: And yet, I've you'd gotcha. rather watch Lorenzo Hunt and Mike Richmond <laughs> do bare knuckle hey, fighting oh, Luke.
5: Hey, how about you mean Mike the Marine Richmond? You bet your ass. Semper Fi, you civilian pig. How about that? How about that?
3: <laughs> there's the horn. There's the horn. I forgot that Chip took her down seven times. I suck at trivia. Dude, she just, just, just
4: she like, big sistered the shit out of her. It was yeah, awesome. I didn't think it was
3: seven. I thought it was like two or three and she just beat the shit out of her with like each and every five one. In the first round. For That's from. nuts. That also,
4: given that the fact that Andrade still has like a seventy percent takedown defense rate is pretty incredible. She gave up a hundred percent of
3: takedowns to Shevchenko. <laughs> That's insane. All right. Well, the point for round four goes to. It goes to Jed Mishu. It's two to two. Oh. Big shocker. Oh. Who knew. What a surprising turn of events. For the first time in BTL history, uh, we go to the knockout round. Literally not true. We've done it 100%, well, almost 100% of the time, until Say, unless, not Jed hosts, not unless, Jed hosts, unless Jed hosts the show. But that means one question for each gentleman. They'll each have 60 seconds to answer. Then we'll go to the peeps, and the peeps will vote and decide on who gets the win. So Jed, prerogative, my friend. What are we doing? Oh, I'll go second. All right. So we will start with you, Luke. Uh, neither of these fellows know what this question is. So we are in the second month of 2023. There's a lot of fun fights on the books. There's a lot of interesting storylines in play, but let's try to gauge some fascination and let's go against the obvious here. So we're taking like the big stars out of the equation right now. We're probably looking more like an Alex Pereira circa 2022 role here. Who's your fighter to watch in 2023 can be in the UFC Bellator PFL, wherever, which fighter do you think could make a big leap that has a lot of promise has shown a lot of promise heading into this year, however you wanted to find it, which fighter are you most interested to see in regards to a potential leap up the rankings, maybe into title contention that isn't there already? One minute on on the, hold on,
5: hold on. on. Let me clarify. Let me clarify. Let me clarify. So this is my first time playing this. So I, it has to be someone who doesn't hold a belt. Uh, you know what? Do whatever you want. Do whatever you want. Because uh, I've got one that might that might fit the bill. How about that?
3: Okay, I think I I think I know where you're going, and I will accept this answer. One minute on the clock. Go.
5: I doubt you know where I'm going, but if this doesn't work, you can fail me for it. I'm going to go Usman Nurmagomedov. Uh, I have been extremely impressed by him, and upcoming this year in 2023 is going to be the start of the Bellator Lightweight Grand Prix, and he, we don't have a full sense of all the matchups and all the permutations, but the idea that he can walk through this and potentially fight God knows who, AJ McKee, we'll have to see, is to me extremely intriguing. A lot of folks have not paid attention to how good Usman Nurmagomedov is. In part, he had a bit of a rougher fight than I think folks imagined has a tricky although he certainly blanked him in that capacity as well. But we're talking about a guy who has phenomenal wrestling. Beat Chris Gonzalez, who just beat Max Roshkov like it was nothing. Obviously on the feet, he is just lights out. He can be a little bit conservative, but this is the point. Through that Grand Prix, I think he's going to mature, get more experience against high-level guys, and really come into his own. He's going to end 2023 as a potential fighter of the year, and not on the pound-for-pound, pound, but one of the very best 155ers in the world, Organization.
3: I can't fail you because I knew where you were going with that. So I like that oh, I like yeah, that, that, that answer. Good. Yeah, Usman or Magamadoff is a great pick. Uh so we go to you, Jed. Uh, I'm sure Usman would have been one of the guys that would, would be on your list, but now the, the door is wide so open for me to take anybody so else So fucking mad. <laughs> <laughs> I figured uh one minute on the clock. You can't pick Usman or Magomedov unless you have a more compelling answer to it. Go.
4: Well, I wanted to pick Usman because we did a this sort of thing roundtable and I picked who, <laughs> one of my dudes and it was for many of the same reasons. But fine, we'll be different. We'll branch out. And I could go Jailton Almeida. I could do anything like that. But no, I'm, I'm planting a flag. I'm standing on the corner. I alluded to this earlier. Buddy, it's about to be Arnold Allen's season in the featherweight division. He is fighting Max Holloway coming up. He is going to win that fight. Once he wins that fight, that is your number one with a bullet contender behind Yair Rodriguez as they settle that up. I think Yair has a good chance to beat Volkanovski, but whoever comes out of that, Arnold Allen is going to be the dude who beats the winner of that. We are talking by the end of this year or maybe very, very early in 2024. Arnold Allen is your new UFC undisputed featherweight champion. England will have a third champion, and everyone can relish in almighty. Boom.
3: Well said. All right. Well, cast your votes, peeps. Uh, we got to get out of here in a couple of minutes, so
5: cast your votes. I mean, I'm going to lose this one. Uh, he picked a UFC fighter. I picked a Bellator fighter. We know which way this is going to go. I, mean,
4: <laughs> I would have picked you. I I was ready to say Usman because he's going to be a top five lightweight by the end of the year.
5: It's a great choice, but you know, I'm going to lose on popularity, so it's okay.
4: I'm not we'll sure see, you've we'll ever see. watched this show before, <laughs> Luke. I gotta be honest. If you're thinking I'm gonna win a popularity contest,
3: you, uh, you're new well, here. Uh, <laughs> you Cash your votes now. Uh, I'm very curious to see the percentages here. BC has kind of tuned up Jet on the percentages ugh. and. Who knows how the percentages will go this way? But uh, tomorrow, heck of a morning, 10 a.m. Eastern, we'll have a preview show tomorrow for UFC Vegas 69. I'm sure that'll be a a 25 minute affair at best. Uh, Saturday, people's pre fight show, post show, all that fun stuff. And then AK and I will be back on Sunday for matchmaking coming out of UFC Vegas 69 with On to the Next One. And then we get another Vegas card coming up, UFC Vegas 70, Bellator coming up next weekend, which is a really good card. And then on to UFC 285. So Casey, do we
4: have wrong. a winner?
0: Oh, we definitely no. have a winner. We are, we, we, we.
5: <laughs> Why were you both, why were you both wrong? Little,
4: the actual answer is Tatiana Suarez.
5: Oh, <sighs> that's right.
4: That, that's actually the answer, and yeah. I didn't think of it until just now, but she's coming Gosh, back next fuck. week, assuming that <laughs> happens, and that's, that's the whole also, or, that's the whole or, kit and caboodle.
5: <laughs> or her boyfriend, Patchy Mix. That fucker's doing amazing things, too. <laughs> that's a great pick, too. That is a great pick, too. You're just determined
4: to pick Bellator fighters, aren't you? I don't, I don't, I'm not
5: even trying. I'm not even trying. But in fairness... <laughs> what about Johnny Epplin? Do you have thoughts on Johnny Epplin? <laughs> no, 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 no. In fairness, in fairness, I think most people would agree Usman Nurmagomedov and Patchy Mix are yes. two thumbs up for those guys. Yes. Casey, okay. who wins? <clears throat> well, I changed it up a bit because I knew
0: this was going to be highly competitive. So for the vote, I offered the draw option. Either Jed wins, Luke wins, or draw. 19% of you out there pick draw.
2: So Ooh. a lot of people
0: thought it was very close. Okay. But we do have a very decisive winner, though, for the, for the <laughs> other 81%. <laughs> With uh, fifty nine percent of the votes. <laughs> oh,
4: so even if you added draw to the loser, it, it's not this. It doesn't
0: get there. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I don't know. I, I, was, I was trying to stretch this out because it's pretty. It's a blowout. The <laughs> winner traffic. is <laughs> and still undefeated, Luke Thomas.
3: Hey. hey. comes back gets the win congratulations and you don't get money or, or a prize but you do get 30 seconds to talk about whatever you want to talk about good bad and different you want to plug your stuff the floor is yours
5: Yeah, just two places you guys can find me, youtube.com slash Luke Thomas. I got a chat today at 3 p.m. or youtube.com slash Morning Combat. Hey, boys, I'll take my time to say thank you so much for inviting me. I had a great time. I've seen Casey on the road. I've seen Mike on the road. Jed, I haven't seen you in a while, but it's nice to at least uh, be here with you guys, and I appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much. And we appreciate you being here. Jed, (laughs) any
3: any final thoughts?
4: No, you know, I'll I'll take my loss. I won't blame it on... um... IV hydration or after the fact saying I definitely won three rounds and deserve a rematch I'll just take it on the chin you know sometimes you give an effort come up short and that's how it goes so well done Luke
3: it was a great competitive battle I think it lived up to the hype Casey hit the music so we can get on out of here there it is all right back next week on between the links we'll recap ufc vegas 69 I'm sure we're gonna have to talk about there we'll talk ufc vegas 70 we'll talk the upcoming bellator card and all the news and notes going on in the world of mixed martial arts so thank you for joining us for jed for luke casey on the ones and twos the iconic voice of Esther lynn may take you home i don't know but i am mike Keck. see you back here next week between the links good night everybody
2: Love this you guys. has been Between the Links, an MMA fighting production on the Vox Media Network.
3: You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network.
0: The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA.